So our theme for today is passing on what is most important. And our Bible readings are from Corinthians and Mark, uh, reading from the New Revised Standard Version, which I hope is going to appear. There it is. And so Paul writes, I'm not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, as I teach them everywhere in every church. But some of you, thinking that I am not coming to you, have become arrogant. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. What would you prefer? Am I to come to you with a stick or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Our other reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Here we go. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Please stand as you're able and join me as we respond to God speaking to us by his word as we now confess our faith in him as the body of Christ, his church. And let's say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This morning we're looking at the theme, passing on what is important. And as we look at this message, we'll see that both John the Baptist and Paul have something in common. 
And it ties in with this season of Advent in that both point us to Jesus where we get to see not only what is most important but who is most important. So let's pray. We thank you Jesus that uh, John the Baptist said that you will be the one who baptizes us with Holy Spirit and fire. So we ask you to uh, open our hearts now to Holy Spirit so that we can not only hear your word but that our hearts may, may burn that we may be on, on fire for you, that there may be warmth in our, in our souls coming from the security in our hearts, from the identity we have as your sons and daughters. Open our hearts and our minds and our lives to not only hear your word, but to respond. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Social media uses the phrase, influences. And uh, if you're on Instagram or if you're on, on Facebook or any other form of social media, uh, these are people who like to set trends that other people will follow. And you would think, judging by the amount of time that young people spend in uh, social media circles and on their devices, that, that these would be the greatest influences in their life. And while the influence is profound, it, it came as a surprise to me to hear the results of a survey Recently, I'd heard a survey done about 15 or 20 years ago. Stephen Troutwine alerted me to it, but I thought things might have shifted. The survey showed that the number one influence in the lives of young people remains a parent or parents or a strong parent figure. Uh, they may not influence them in what to wear. They may not influence them in what music to listen to. But then really, when you're on your deathbed, is your playlist that important? <laughs> you know, is the fact that you had a $150 pair of jeans with the right rips in the knees versus the $20 jeans, is it really of that significant? No. <laughs> when you're at the other end of your life, the things that are important, the things that last, the things that we take with us as we die, they are the things that are important and they're the things that we get influenced from in our home. They are the things that we learn at home. They are the things we learn from the people who model life to us. Uh, they are the things that we learn from the people who show us what is of lasting value, what is of eternal significance. And it's the things that we promote as a congregation. So in this message today, there's going to be a number of levels. There's going to be passing on what is most important, uh, in other words, leaving the legacy to the next generation. And I just want to say that you are never too late to begin this. My mother-in-law is in her 90s, and she's one of the biggest influences in our family circle. She keeps her memory alive by writing a card to every single person on their birthday that is within her family unit. That means she's sometimes writing two or three a week. And she always shares what is on her heart, and she always shares Jesus. She's an influencer. She's not on Instagram. She wouldn't know what it was. But she's influencing for good. The other level that this is coming on, this message, is as a congregation. How do we as a community, how do you as a community pass on what is most important? How do you raise up the next generation of leaders? And I'm not just talking about someone who will stand up here. It's a, a minority that get to do that. 
But how can we have a whole community embracing a culture where we live to naturally pass on the faith to other people? Well, passing on what is most important is part of what Paul says. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, for I passed on to you what is of first importance. And he goes on to speak about the resurrection. So that which we have within us is that which we want to pass on to others. It doesn't matter if you're the fastest person in the world. When you're not running a 100 meter race solo, but you're part of a 100 meter 4 by 100 meter relay race. (laughs) The only thing that matters if you're part of the 4 by 100 meter relay race is that you can pass on the baton well. And uh, how do we pass on what is important? Well, it's important that as we read this next scripture, we remember that Paul is writing as an, um, not as an apostle, not as a theologian, not as an instructor, not as a person giving a sermon, but as we'll see in a moment, he's writing as a father. And he says, I'm not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. You may think, what on earth has this got to do with Advent? Advent is about preparing the way for Jesus. Advent is about preparing the way for his return at the end of the world. Advent is about preparing the way for the celebration of his birth at Christmas. And both of those involve passing on what is important. And we can instruct and we can teach, but people soon forget the lessons that you gave. They forget the sermons that have been preached, but they will always remember the belief that someone has placed in them. So what does Paul mean here when he says, you know, you've you've had 10,000 guardians in Christ? Well, he's giving a hyperbole. He's going in an extreme. But in Jesus' day, in the early, um, the the, the Greek culture of his day, a guardian was someone that a, a person of some financial means would employ to pass on the values and the morals to the kid, their kid, who that employed the guardian to, uh, to watch over. I suppose a rough comparison would be a nanny, except instead of just looking after the kid's um, you know, physical and clothing needs, this is a person specifically employed on behalf of the parent to instruct the kids in the right way to act in society. Now, of course, if you're a nanny... And you're getting, uh, you know, $50,000 a year for this family and another family over here that lives in a better suburb with nicer facilities and they offer you $100,000 a year. You say goodbye to that job and you go over here no matter how nice the kids are and no matter how bratty these are. And so Paul's saying, a guardian, you can look on seek.com and find one. But a father, now that's different. A father won't leave when offered better pay somewhere else. It may be tempting. (laughs) A father doesn't opt out when the kids get bratty. That's when the sleeves get rolled up. A father doesn't just tell off, but a father admonishes. 
And the word admonishment isn't just to give a scathing critique, but it's where you come alongside of from below to help correct a person so that they grow into maturity. A father is there modelling day in and day out, developing trust and intimacy and instilling values, not just practices and habits. And so Paul says, you pass on what is important, not just by sending your kid off to Sunday school, as helpful as that is, not just enrolling them in a Christian school, but what a wonderful thing to be able to do if that's your, your, uh, your call, but by being in their life on a regular basis, day in and day out. And there are three examples that I want to give that are helpful for this. And the first is that of the learner driver. There comes this time in life when... For 17 years, you have been hopping around to the right-hand side of the car and little Johnny has been hopping around to the left-hand side of the car, except for this particular day, as you walk towards the vehicle, you toss Johnny the keys and he goes around to the seat that you have occupied quite well. (laughs) And and you go around and hop in the passenger seat. (laughs) First thing you do is make sure your seatbelt's on. And, And little Johnny, you know bunny hops his way into uh, his driving future. You see, this is the most natural thing that we do in life, but somehow when it comes to other areas of life, like congregational ministry and things like that, we think we've got to fill them with knowledge first. I'm not knocking the seminary or I'm not knocking Bible college, but probably the worst way of instructing someone is to fill them with all information and then release them. Uh, A better way is by driving lessons where you teach, then practice, then teach, then practice, then teach, then practice. A bit like the next example of a hairdressing apprentice. The first day a young person turns up for their hairdressing apprenticeship, they are not preparing the bride for her wedding day. They're buffing windows, they are sterilising combs and scissors, and they're sweeping hair off the floor. Maybe they get to work on someone like me with the ears and eyebrows. Uh, But that's about the limit of their experience. Somehow, somewhere over the next four years, and you can't tell me which day it happens, a change takes place and... One day, they're preparing a bride for her wedding. Which day did that preparation happen? We see, this is a bit like telling your kid you brake early and accelerate slowly, but you model the opposite and then wonder why when they hop in the car, they brake late and accelerate quickly. (laughs) Because as you've heard me say before, some of you, you can teach what you know, but ultimately you reproduce who you are. That's not only the case for individuals, but it's the case for a community of faith as well. We raise by release. As we release people, they use up whatever they know. They make mistakes. Then we come alongside, offer correction, admonition, instruction, help, benefit, and they're released into it. And in all of this, we're saying, "Uh, this isn't about me. That's the beauty about John the Baptist. In John's gospel, when they come to speak to John the Baptist, say, are you the one? And the first thing he says is, I am not. And that leads me to the 
third illustration, that of a farmer who is now at retirement years and decides that he wants to pass on the farm to his son who has been working for him all these years, but he also wants to live on the farm in his retirement years. That's okay for certain personality types, but it's not okay for many. Because instead of someone coming to John the Baptist and saying, are you the farmer? And he going, I am not, I'm retired. They come and say, are you the farmer? Yes, I am. My son works for me. (laughs) That's the attitude. Rather, a friend of mine who's uh, a farmer at Yurong Creek, halfway between Albury and Wagga in New South Wales, when his father retired and handed over the farm to him, his mother said to his father, we're off the farm and we're going to retire in Junee. And he goes, but Junee's two hours away. And she goes, yes, two and a half would be better. (laughs) She said, because I don't want you coming back and being one of those farmers who's constantly judging the new practices that your son might be doing. And uh, their son, James, said that was the most gracious gift they could ever give. He said, I love my dad. I welcomed his input. I rang him frequently and asked for advice. But the moment he stepped off the farm, I knew that this was my responsibility. And I stepped up to the plate. Now, of course, the beauty is that dad came back every year for harvest, but he didn't come back to make decisions. He came back to enjoy himself by sitting in an air-conditioned header cab. So as a congregation, there comes a time when we say, you know what, I'm going to get out of the way to make room for the next. But what if when you come to get out of the way to make room for the next, the next aren't there? Well, let's go back four years earlier and say, how can we identify over four years, not just over four weeks or four months or four days or four hours or four minutes before a congregational meeting, How can we recognise in advance the next leaders? If you're a small group leader, how can we recognise in advance these people and raise by release along the journey? How do we do this in our lives? How do we do this in our congregation? Firstly, you hang out with people. That's a very scriptural term, isn't it? You hang out. That's what the disciples did for three years with Jesus. Jesus came, called 12 disciples, and they hung out with him for three years. You know, the Bible may say that they travelled from um, Jericho to a certain place and we just skip over that. But what it means is they were walking along the road. They were asking questions. Someone uh, got hungry. Someone was complaining about this. Much of Jesus' talking happened while he was hanging out with people. So over the next three weeks, if someone wants to go shopping with you, if the grandkids are coming over uh, and you've got to do shopping, take them with you. Let them ask questions, point to the Christmas tree, ask them if they know what it's about, but hang out and invest and spend time. Um, I learnt to prune fruit trees by hanging out with a bloke who who died, um, Joe Voigt's husband, Ray. He uh, taught me how to prune the fruit trees over at the manse. He says, no, Peter, first thing you've got to know is that an apricot tree is not a peach tree. (laughs) A peach tree will respond to hard pruning. He said, an apricot tree doesn't want hard pruning. In fact, we don't prune apricots in the summer anymore. I never knew that. But I learned by hanging about. And so you learn by hanging about. I was in a cafe in Stirling the other day, and a young man said to me, 
um, well, he's in his 40s, that's young. Uh, he said, how do you write sermons? And we were there for an hour and a half. When he left, he had that much uh, notes. And I said, I don't want you to write sermons the way I want to write sermons, but I just told him about how I get a passage of scripture and then just ask questions of the passage. He said, I didn't know you could ask those kind of questions of the scripture. He said, can we do this again? We've got an appointment in our diary for January. We're hanging out together. Secondly, you model to them. Um, You teach and instruct but ultimately you model. In Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15, it says, and Jesus called to, this is when Jesus calls the disciples, it says, and Jesus called to him those whom he wanted that they might be with him, that they might be sent out to proclaim the message and that they might have authority over evil spirits. Now, I love that. Firstly, Jesus calls them to him, not to a Bible study course, not to a degree, He doesn't call them to a worship service, but he calls them to him, to a person, to a relationship. And then it says, and when they came to him, it was firstly that they would be with him. And so Jesus modeled. He'd tell parables and then they'd ask him questions afterwards. And so, do you know, you're modeling all the time. You're modeling. Everything you do is is a model to other people. That's why Paul can say to the uh, Corinthians, you know, I know you want me to come to you, but, but I, can't, I can't come. It's, it's not convenient at the moment, but I'm going to send Timothy to you. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. What he's saying to you is, I've trained up Timothy. Timothy has hung about with me. I have modeled my life to Timothy. In fact, when you get Timothy, it's as if you're getting me. Because everything that I have, I've placed into him, And so he will represent my heart, my values, uh, and the gospel that we proclaim to you. That's what modeling does. Thirdly, you listen and believe in them. You listen without judgment. You listen without judgment. In this room, we've got a lot of opinions And we've got a lot of opinions about a lot of very important things. In fact, we've even got some right and proper opinions about very significant issues, ethical issues and things like that. But when someone is unburdening their heart, your opinion is not appropriate at that point in time. That is where you listen. Because the moment you judge when someone has divulged to you something that doesn't agree with you is the moment they shut you out emotionally and then no matter how much you think you're modelling positively, they will just see it negatively. This does not mean we accept a lowest common denominator morality and that whatever happens is okay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about continuing to let a relationship expand and develop by not shutting it off when someone shares to you something that you may disagree with. We are bridge builders, which is exactly what John the Baptist was. That's what the season of Advent is. It's building a bridge between us and the coming Jesus. And the biggest gift you can give people is not the presence under the tree, but the gift of your presence. And so it's not just enough to hang out 
and your modeling will mean nothing if we don't listen and then believe in them. Not believe in their choices, necessarily. Not believe in their political liaisons. Not believe in their um, expression of things, but believe in them. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't have our act together, Jesus came and loved us and still loves us and continues to love us. God is not against you for your sin. He is for you against your sin. And so as we listen to others and respond, we don't want to sound as if we're against them for their choices, but we want to be for them and empower them to make wise decisions and wise choices. You trust and empower them, thereby equipping them. As we trust people, that's the best equipping you can give. Because when we trust someone, they're chin goes up a little bit, not in a prideful way, their chest goes out a little bit and their attitude goes from I can't and it's hopeless to I can and maybe and what if and I think it's possible. And then they will have a go. You can have them in a classroom all your life. You can have them in your kitchen all your life. But if you say, don't touch the mix master, I'll do that. You've left too many lumps in it. (laughs) They'll never have a go. I remember across there at 50 Deborah Grove when I taught my son to mow the lawns. First time he mowed the lawns. He missed a bit. Oh, how could have I done this? You know what I did, don't you? When he finished and we were about to put the mower away, I said, I'll just go over that bit. You know, he's never mentioned anything to me. He probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about. But if I was in his place, it would have said, you're not as good as your dad. I have to fix up after you. How disempowering, how unequipping, is that a word? (laughs) What does it matter? And I wonder if Jesus knew, of course he did, that Peter was going to betray him, that Judas was going to deny him, that James and John were going to have the argument about who was going to be the greatest before he called them. Of course he knew, and he called them anyway. And so you and me, he calls us anyway. How good is that? And those that you are going to empower and release as a congregation, those in your family and in your circles, are they going to mess up? Absolutely. Let's just get that straight beforehand, and then it all takes care of itself from there. As you trust and empower them and equip them, you then release them. Will a hairdresser ever think that their apprentice, who they remember was coming in with bloodshot eyes in the morning, who made a botch up of too many hairstyles that they could remember, can you you imagine what she or he feels like the day that that apprentice gets let loose on a bride? How nervous. (laughs) But unless you do it, they never grow. And so we release, we release, we release. It's one of the most powerful things in the world. And then, once you've released, you repeat. So, let's see the people in our lives as 
the sons and daughters of the father that they are. And as sons and daughters in Christ who have been entrusted to us to raise and to release so that they too become John the Baptists in their own world, preparing the way for Jesus in the lives of others and so passing on what is of greatest importance. Amen. Father, we thank you for the trust that you place in us. We thank you that through Jesus, you have redeemed us and rescued us and given us access to your heart. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you as the counsellor and the, and the comforter. That over these next three weeks, uh, through your counsel and comfort, we will be present in the lives of others, looking for opportunities to pass on your love and that which is of greatest importance through listening, through believing, through trusting, through journeying alongside of others, through spending time with them, and through releasing them, even as you release us. Thank you that we have your presence as our present. And would you stand as we join together in responding to the word and worshipping God through song. Mm-hmm.